Hi there, this is Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is the Love to Tell the Story podcast. The biblical story of Jacob from the book of Genesis serves, amongst other things, to remind you and me that whatever our vision of life happens to be, not only does God often have other plans, but also God will always be with us in the midst of those plans. That's the subject of today's message, which is based on the story from Genesis 28 and is entitled, Surely in This Place. And so now, as we approach the middle chapters of the book of Genesis, we come to the story of Jacob. Jacob, the son of Isaac and his wife, Rebekah. Jacob, the grandson of Abraham and Sarah. Jacob, one of the central figures of the biblical narrative on whose life and times turns just about everything that is to follow in Genesis, and for that matter, the entirety of the Old Testament. But that having been said, let's be brutally honest here. Though he may well be a biblical patriarch, as he is portrayed in the book of Genesis, Jacob is also a crook. Pretty much a dyed-in-the-wool, double-barreled con artist. As the late, great Frederick Buechner once aptly described him, Jacob was the kind of man who, quote, was never, ever satisfied. He wanted the moon, and if he ever managed to bilk heaven out of that, he would have been back the next morning for the stars to go along with it. And trust me, folks, there is plenty of evidence in Genesis to support this assertion. <clears throat> like, for instance, how Jacob cheated his slightly older brother Esau, not only out of his rightful inheritance, but also out of his father's Isaac's blessing. Jacob and Esau were twins, you see. And Esau was born, oh, let's say, roughly 10 minutes before Jacob. But nonetheless... He was legally entitled to his father's estate. But as the story goes, Jacob took advantage of his father's Isaac's old age and his blindness. And basically what he did is he covered his own neck and hands with goat hair. This so, the old man, Jacob, uh, to the old man, Jacob would at least feel like his hairy brother Esau and thus receive the blessing that rightfully belonged to his brother. Wonderful person, isn't he? And then there's the story later on about how Jacob managed to out-double-cross his double-crossing father-in-law, Laban, so that Jacob ended up with most of Laban's livestock, both of his daughters, and almost everything else that wasn't nailed down. And, and it goes on and on from there. I would encourage you to read all these middle chapters. It's quite interesting reading. I've got to tell you, friends, every time I return to this particular story in Genesis, I end up rethinking a little bit how great a namesake Jacob was for my oldest son. <laughs> then again, lest we become too judgmental here, 
I have to say that, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I have a lot of admiration for Jacob. And the reason is, is, and I would submit to you here, that in the biblical story, Jacob represents those of us who, shall we say, weren't born lucky. You know what I mean? In many ways, you see, Jacob stands for those among us who have always had to work and scrape for every possible advantage in life. Think about this with me for a moment. This was a man who quite literally came into the world at a disadvantage. Because even though he was one of a set of twins, Jacob wasn't, in fact, the firstborn. And as we've noted before in this series, in ancient times, that made all the difference in terms of Jacob's place in life and all the blessings that traditionally go along with that. So right off the bat, Jacob had to struggle. Jacob, the other twin. Jacob, who from the time he and big brother were in the womb, were destined to be two nations, but two nations divided, with one, we're told, stronger than the other, interestingly enough here, with the elder serving the youngest, not the other way around. So in other words, what we get here very clearly in this story is that right from the beginning, God was promising a blessing unto Jacob. But you see, as the story goes forward, we realize that his life just never seemed to follow suit. Jacob would end up growing up with, with this philosophy that, that one's destiny was something to be seized and, and by whatever means possible. As far as Jacob was concerned, in this world, you had to call your own shots. Life was something to be held in the palm of your two hands to create and shape at will. And to quote Hamilton here, Jacob wasn't going to throw away his shot. And that, well, we can kind of understand that, can't we? I love what M. Craig Barnes, pastor, author, recently retired president of Princeton Seminary. I love what he has written about, about Jacob in his book, Hustling God. He says, some people have it made, and others of us have to make it happen. Most of us, he says, are in the second group. Believing that nothing is naturally coming our way, we are determined to go out and make our dreams come true. And as Jacob illustrates for us again and again that that is the best way in the world to really mess up your life. So then, what we've got here in this old, old story of Jacob is, in fact, a classic and all-too-human scenario of self-determination run amok. It's what happens, you see, when the effort of taking total control of your life literally gets out of control. But, as our text for this morning illustrates, what Chris just read to us, so often these are the same moments 
when we discover that God, well, God has a different idea. As we pick up the reading today, Jacob had just stolen Esau's blessing. And in the face of Esau's fury over this betrayal, because you can understand Esau's not pleased about this, in the wake of this, Jacob is sent by his mother, who definitely did love Jacob best. He is sent by his mother to the hill country of Padanaram. And this is the place where her brother Laban lived, so that Jacob could lay low until the heat's off and perhaps find a wife. But that's another story for another time. And so it was along the journey that one night Jacob stops to sleep, perchance to dream, and what a dream it is. Now somehow, given all that he'd already done in his life, you would have expected Jacob to have some nightmares or at least some regret-filled dreams. But instead, we're told that in this dream, was this incredible vision of a ladder reaching up to heaven with angels moving up and down its rungs. And somewhere above this ladder was God. God, who in the midst of all this activity was speaking to Jacob directly, telling him incredible things, not unlike that which God had told his grandfather, Abraham, years before, that the land on which he was sleeping would belong to him and his descendants that his children and their children and their children would become a great nation and a blessing to all other nations. This vision, you see, is a renewal of a divine promise. It's the same promise that was given to Abraham and passed on to his son Isaac, and which now belonged to Jacob. And the clincher is this. In the midst of all of this heavenly movement up and down the ladder, God says, know that I am with you and that I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, it's at this point that we are told in Genesis that Jacob woke from his sleep. But actually, I'm guessing he fairly well leapt from his slumber. And not merely from having slept with a stone pillow, either. You see, that's the thing about dreams. Especially when they're dreams that, in which God is involved. That they have a way of letting you see things as they really are. Jacob, in this heavenly flash, started to see his mistake. His whole life, you see, he had been fixated on, uh, shall we say, climbing the ladder of success. But now he's discovered something. He's discovered that for all of his ability, all his cunning, all his supposition of self-created destiny, in the end... There are just some things in life that cannot be gotten. There are just some things in life that have to be given. And we know that's true as well, don't we? To quote Craig Barnes once again, the most important things in life are things like being loved, 
like having a child, like beholding beauty, like discovering your purpose in life, like finding joy in your work or finding a friend who will stick with you through anything, even the truth. These things for which we yearn most in life come only as blessings from God. And blessings can only be received. Now, if you want another word for that, the word is grace. Pure and simple. It's an understanding that when all is said and done, you and I, we don't always call the shots in this life. But but in fact, we live as recipients of myriad blessings that come by the mighty and loving hand of God. It is truly amazing grace. So it's no wonder that when Jacob arose from his slumber, his whole body and soul literally tingled from the power of it. In fact, we are told that so filled up was he with this sense of wonder and fear and amazement, all Jacob could really manage to say was surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. It's quite a reaction, don't you think? Actually, it's, it, if, if you think about it, it's a bit clueless. After all, given what we know about his family history, it, you would, would have thought it would be a little more obvious to Jacob there was going to be greater forces at work in his life than what it simply appeared. But here he was, surprised, overwhelmed, amazed, filled with awe. And I get that. Because isn't that the way we so often react to God's grace? Isn't that the way God always is? In a hospital room, a dying man finds in the midst of his pain a peace that the world and all of its medical technology cannot provide. In the thick of a heated conflict, suddenly and without warning, words of love and healing overcome the anger and the silence that prevailed just a moment before. In a time of utter confusion, a, a Bible is randomly open to a psalm. And that psalm manages somehow to offer clarity and, and it touches a heart. It changes a life in the process. An awkward word of prayer gets spoken in a moment of sheer desperation. But the result brings a unique and life-giving response more direct and profound than we ever had thought possible. All of these, so many more, are times and places and situations in which we come face to face with the God who insists on giving us that which we yearn for the most in this life, even on those times when we don't know what it is that we've been yearning for. This is God's grace, experienced in such a powerful way that our lives become so much more than they were before. It's a gift, freely given, out of an infinite love. But you see, the truth is that most often, just like Jacob, we're so caught up in trying to drive our own destiny that we 
didn't even notice that it was God who had been guiding our pathways all along. You know, over the years, I've been blessed as a pastor to have been given a few opportunities here and there to speak to groups of graduating seniors at, at high school baccalaureate services. And, and, of course, these days, that kind of thing has become an, a, an increasingly rare privilege, so, especially when, it, when for faith communities to be part of that process. But, so I'm very grateful that I've had those opportunities to perhaps impart a little bit of spiritual wisdom to these kids as they head out into the world. But you know how these things go, friends. Well, we stand up at these services and, and we talk a whole lot about things like dreams and, and goals and far-flung horizons. We encourage hard work, commitment, and perseverance on the road ahead. And whether we intend to or not, we usually will let these young adults know that they are, in fact, at the crossroads of their destiny. But that's okay, because they are among the best and brightest. And that's all well and good. Except, <laughs> here's how you change as you get older, folks. I must confess, as the years have passed, that with all these words of promise, that maybe we've unintentionally placed the burden of all of life's joys and sorrows, successes and failures on the shoulders of, of these wide-eyed, inexperienced kids who are barely used to the idea of leaving home, let alone filling their destiny. I'm wondering these days if perhaps the better message, the more important lesson, one that a great number of the people in this life never come to fully learn, is that in the end it's not us who do great things, but it's God who joyfully and lovingly does great things in us. That perhaps the best thing we can do is to let God help us do even the small things with greatness. You might remember the wonderful scene in the movie Chariots of Fire in which the Olympic runner Eric Liddell was trying in vain to explain to his sister why he was going to put off becoming a missionary so he could run in the Paris Olympics. God made me to be a missionary, he says to her, but God also made me fast. And when I run very fast, when I win, I feel God's pleasure in it. And who am I to deny God's pleasure? Find it somewhere on Netflix. It's a great movie. See, this is what we need to remember, friends, that God takes great pleasure in us, that he moves in and through our lives, and he gives us that which brings us a joy and purpose in living, our joy and our purpose in living. We must not ever let our own pride of determination, if I might call it that, Get in the way of what God is doing with us. What God is doing even right now with you and with me. For to do so would be to deny God's pleasure in us. 
seems to me that you and I need to be about the business of climbing Jacob's ladder. That is, setting the course of our lives in such a way that we come closer and closer to God's purpose for us as we go up on every rung. Awakening to God's presence and guidance in all the times and places of our lives with every step. Yes, there's going to be some risk involved. Yes, it means that we are going to have to lose some of the control to which we so desperately cling in this life. Yes, it means that often we are going to go in unexpected directions. And we are going to go places where we would rather not go if given the choice. And we do it all for the sake of God's vision and intent. It is not always going to be easy for us to rely wholly on God's grace. But we are given that divine promise that whenever we are and wherever we are on the journey, we are going to be able to look up and in our awe know that the Lord was in this place. Surely the Lord is in this place. As God said to Jacob, so God says to you and me today, I will not leave you. Wherever we are, beloved, surely the Lord is there. Surely. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. And that's the message entitled, Surely in This Place, part of our current summer sermon series that we're calling The Old, Old Story. Tales from the Book of Genesis. It was recorded during our July the 9th service of worship at East Church, where, by the way, you are always invited to join us in person for worship, this summer and always. It happens every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 of I-93 in beautiful and summery Concord, New Hampshire. We are a small and mighty and spirited congregation, friends, and we would love to have the opportunity to welcome you. I know you'll be glad you came. And that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I do thank you for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.